If you have your Bible, your phone, your iPad, or anything with a Bible on it, open up to Isaiah chapter 1, Romans chapter 5. Isaiah chapter 1, Romans chapter 5. I always do, I mean, I don't care what you look at the Bible on, tell you the truth, as long as you're looking at it, but uh, but I do encourage you, if it's easy to get caught up in where we're at in society with cell phones and iPads and all that kind of stuff, I just always say, you can't leave a cell phone to your kid or to your grandchildren, they need to see a, they need to see a Bible that's been spent time in, pages wrinkled, notes written, so I encourage you, if you, if you don't do that, it's a good day to start. All right. Let me get to where I'm going. While I'm finishing up, if you have a little little scratch note, you're going to be the only one that sees it. Everybody get you a little scratch note and a pencil or pen or something. Everybody, I'm going to stand here until everybody can hold up a pencil or pen in the air. That way I make sure that we grab your pen, some piece of paper, it's like, <laughs> I want you, I want you to take just a minute to think while I'm getting to my scripture. I want you to write down in a note that you'll understand. You're not going to share this with anybody unless you want to talk to it with your spouse or something afterwards. I want you to write down, what did you come for today? Why did I come today? Why am I here today? Just be real with yourself and God. Some of you, like my mom did, made me just write that if you have to, okay? Because my husband made me. For the lunch. <laughs> While you're writing now, I do just want to encourage you. Maybe it wasn't in your plans to stay after for lunch. I, I want to stress, this is not a commitment trap you in to a ministry lunch. This is a... This is a lunch to where you consider and go, I just want some information on what this entails because this might be something I want to involve myself in, stay for lunch, and uh, listen to what Justin's got to say and look at this ministry. I really want you to take a serious look at this ministry. Um, y'all got your reason wrote down? <coughs> Everybody got your reason wrote down? Hold on to that reason. I'm going to get back to it in just a second. So, I'll read, I'll read my first verse and then I'll, I'll start off. Uh, Isaiah chapter 1, I am going to back up, you know, uh, verse 17, this is a special day and we're kicking off Fathers in the Field ministry, ministry that where men reach out to boys, fatherless, be mentors to them, love them, lead them to Jesus, change their lives and that kind of stuff. And this is, this is the theme verse, verse 17 is the theme verse for Fathers in the field ministry. But I do want to back up and I want you to look at what what was said before uh, we got to this part. In verse 11 it says, to what purpose? This is the question I just asked you. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices to me? Why are you here? It says, the Lord, I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams. You remember this Old Testament, so the way that they worshiped, they would bring their sacrifice and they would offer it up. That's what he's talking about here. 
the fat of fed cattle. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or the lambs or goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required this from your hand to trample my courts? Bring no more futile sacrifices. Incense is an abomination to me. The new moons, the Sabbaths, the calling of assemblies. I cannot endure iniquity and the sacred meeting. Your new moons and your appointed feasts. Now these are things that in the law God taught them to do, but he taught them to do it from their heart before the Lord. Not just to go through a process that they called worship. And he says, your new moons, in verse 14, your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. Is it possible God can hate the way that people come to church and worship? Very possible. They are trouble to me. I'm weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you, even though you make many prayers. I will not hear, for your hands are full of blood. Verse 16, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, put away the evil of your doings from my eyes. Cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, rebuke the oppressor, defend the fatherless, plead for the widow. And notice what God's interested here. Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are like red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If you're willing and obedient, you'll eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you'll be devoured by the sword for the mouth of the Lord is spoken. And so when we look at that scripture talking about being a defender of the fatherless, you know, the number of children, I'm going I'm to have to read some to you this week more than I'm going to speak. The number of children growing up fatherless in, in our country, in our community has literally become epidemic. Uh, I won't go over stats with you uh, because last week, you know, we was talking about statistics a long ago. But I do want to I do want to reemphasize that statistically, facts show that fatherless kids are more likely to grow up in poverty, become involved in alcohol, drugs, and premarital sex, have physical and emotional health issues, become involved in crime, end up in jail, penitentiary, have division and destruction with their own families, and so. You know, you can read the stats, and I've been doing a lot of reading and studying on this. <clears throat> you can read the stats, and you can see the outcome of what it is to be raised in a fatherless home. Probably a lot of people here that you were raised in a fatherless home. You know why? Because you can't speak in a crowd this size without having a large majority of people here who can identify and go, I know what it's like to be fatherless. I know the results of maybe it's not you specifically, but maybe it's other people, friends of yours, other other people in your in your you know family, distant family, or people that you are go to church with. You go, I see the results and the struggles and the hurt and the pain because this person was fatherless. The absence of the father in the home, and you know you think about this. I've got um, two two people that come to mind, um, two boys that that. I've watched grow up their whole life, and and they were they were uh, there was an absence of the father in their home due to a divorce, <clears throat> and 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 even though the dad was still 
involved in their life. He didn't just totally shuck town, but, but he was limited in his involvement in their life. I watched them boys grow up, and I watched them get involved in every bit of this stuff. In the statistics, their life was just like, check, 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 check. And, and honestly, they, they, how we would say, they were like pretty good kids. They could have been raised to be great kids, but instead they, they went this direction, and, and one of them one of them's dead now. One of them's still alive. And uh, he, uh, I talk to him ever so often. Like, so, so, what are you doing for Thanksgiving? Now, I don't know what y'all do for Thanksgiving. And you know, our family always has got together. And and you know, it's a, a Christmas or Thanksgiving, whatever. Most families, you know, are it's a big deal, and you get together your family. But but for him, he said, you know, I don't really know what I'm gonna do. You know. I, you don't get together with your family. His, his, you know, on his mom's side, she kind of don't want a whole lot to do with him because she got remarried and, and went on about her life and, and had her own, you know, a, I guess you would say a different family. And so this, he doesn't feel like he's a part of that family. And then, you know, his dad, he got remarried and, and they ended up having another child, him and his second wife. And, and so he just kind of hung in the middle. He don't, he don't feel like he fits in either place. And so he doesn't. They don't have a family get together at Thanksgiving. And for me, I just go, that blows my mind. But there's probably, honestly, a whole lot more people today that have that than people who actually come together as a loving, peaceful family and sit down and enjoy the day together. And I'll just say this. You ought to be able to do that, especially as Christian families. You ought to be able to get together in a peaceful, loving atmosphere and enjoy your time of fellowship together. That that's that would be, I guess, biblically normal, you know. And I know I'm going to touch on some touchy stuff today, so y'all don't throw your defense up. I, I do want to say this, because I, I, some people, the way they take stuff, I, I ain't standing here to to, to judge or condemn. Or, I'm not the devil. That's what he does. I'm here to I'm here to give you hope and, and here to give you truth. And and hopefully, when you leave today, you can say God's changed me for the better. So, so you know, you think about the effects it is to, to be raised in the absence of a father uh, on, on things like that. You know, and, and we would have to ask, because I asked myself, where, where did all this come from? And how did this happen? And there's a, there's a long list of things we go through, I won't for time's sake, but, but the absence of the father, as I researched this, comes from people who live their lives and make decisions in the absence of God. Really, it all fits down into that. Every everything we look up and say, "There's an absence of the father, a fatherless home here, a fatherless child there." How did this happen? Because there was decisions made, life-altering, affecting decisions that not only affected the per- people making it, but the people who are also be affected through that decision in the absence of God the Father. And in that, any time, any decision we make in life in the absence of God and we do things that's right in our own eyes, we can expect it's going to cause a big old mess. You know, a lot of them, pregnancies outside of the marriage, a man who is, let me say this boldly, no man at all. No man at all. You know, a girl becomes pregnant, he leaves, and the mom has to raise the kid. Not God's plan. Not that's not, not the way God designed things. And if, and if you're like, hey, that happened to me, nobody's, nobody's looking down on you whatsoever. I'm just saying. Anytime we make decisions outside, it causes hurt and pain. Divorce puts a father out of the house. Sometimes, you know, it's an early death or a tragedy. It's just like 
Justin was saying, his dad died 10 years ago, died early. You know, things that we can't control. And then, and then here's the thing, because this can touch on a lot of men here. You know, then there's, there's men who are physically present, physically in the home, but emotionally and spiritually absent. They're there, and, and this is the mentality. I know that this is a blue-collar church, and I'm a blue-collar person, okay? So don't, you men, don't get all swollen up thinking I'm picking on you. Because there's been times in, in my life that I have been absent in those ways in my, in my family. Shame to say that, but, it, but it's true. For short moments, I'll say that. But, but here's the thing. You can be home, and you can, you can go out and work, and you can provide, and you can make money. And you cannot raise your kids. You can leave that to the wife. You know, to you, the wife, take them to church. The wife, could, because you're spiritually absent. And let me say that. It's, it's not, I don't want anybody to do anything because you feel ashamed or guilty today. I want to encourage you to go, God's blessed you. If you're a, if you're a daddy, God's blessed you with a privilege and the honor to teach your kids the Bible. To raise them up for Jesus. It's, a, it's a, one of the greatest blessings in life you know don't listen to the world tell you you know that's a woman's thing it's not a woman's thing it's time for us to stop listening to the world and take back the honor that god's placed upon us and if you're not teaching your kids or or influencing your grandchildren for the lord then you're absent as a father in that and 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 then on the emotional side you know especially with us older people maybe not in, in a newer generation but but, you know, when it comes to emotional things, there's a lot of dads who you don't talk to your kids. You don't, you know, some, some dads have a hard time just telling your kids, you know, I want you to know I love you. We might grunt, you know, we might like, they know, rub them on the head or whatever, like, we don't get involved in all that stuff. We let the mom take care of that stuff. You know, we got our thing, this is what we do. And then, and then you got men who come in and, and sit down and they're consumed by TV and consumed by their sports and consumed by, and women too. We're not just going to pick on the men. But you understand what I'm saying. So don't think, well, just because I'm home that I'm actively involved with my kids' life. Just because you provide money for them to go and do things. Just because you're standing there watching them in the sports events. That doesn't mean that you are that you have the relationship you could have. You should be. You should be their greatest influence. You know, I appreciate coaches who... Who give their time and they invest in kids and, 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 you know, different ones that kids are involved in, teachers and, and all that kind of stuff. But listen to me. Those people shouldn't be your kids' greatest influence. We should, as parents, be the greatest influence on our children's life. And so, when you think about those things, ultimately, it's Satan's attack on the family and marriage. And anytime that, you know, the world's been trying to redefine the family and marriage, especially in the last 10 years, you know, at any time that, that you move away from God's Word, I just want to encourage you to build your life on God's Word. It's not popular. It, you know, it's not going to fit in with culture. I didn't. I don't want to fit in with culture in my family or in our church. And I just go, I want to build my life on the Word of God. It's the rock. It's the foundation. My faith in Jesus because it's a foundation that will stand and it will produce exactly what you hope for. So in that, you know... <clears throat> When you, when you look at, at Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 17, you know, God's designed the answer to the problem of the fatherless and the widows. We just want to pitch that in there. Multiple times through the Bible, it, it mentions how we should, you know, take care of and deal with and bring justice to 
the fatherless. And God's design, the perfect answer to the problem is called the church. The body of Christ, the representative of Jesus on earth. We're the physical representation of Jesus on the earth. And you know, if you think about it, when Jesus was, was here, whether it's in his life as a whole or in ministry, everything with that, that the Lord had to do was revolved around relationships, loving people, helping people. I heard it said this week, Jesus didn't design a religion. He didn't. When you look at his life, you're like, his life wasn't about a religion. Now, I know he went and taught at the synagogues, and there was, there was instances where the multitude would come and he would teach them the word, but that's not religion. That's not some, you know, manufactured, you know, almost today's churches looking like some business gathering. Jesus was all about people, and he loved, he just, I was praying and thinking, it's like, God, it would be amazing if we could just come back to as, a, as families and as a church as a whole, in our relationship to the Lord, just, just to come back to a simple place to go, what does God want from the church? He just wants us to love people, share His love with people, help people, speak truth. You know, the, the, the disciples described Jesus in two words. He was full grace and truth. And if we were a people who go, I'm not here you know, for, for the reason a lot of people come to church. And I, and I want to ask you to be honest with yourself today for the Lord. What you wrote on that piece of paper. What you wrote. Why did I come here today? Does it involve loving and encouraging and helping other people? Somebody besides you. Because if it doesn't, then we're not following Jesus. I'm not saying you're not saved. I'm just saying, he's over there doing his thing, and we're over here in this design we've made. Church shouldn't be a, hey, we're a Sunday suit and tie like it, it used to be, Lord help. <laughs> you know, Sunday suit and tie, shake a hand, smile, hear, hear a good, you know, three-point and a poem message, get up and go to the restaurant and get on about our week. That's not church. It's not Christianity. Church, Jesus is all about spending time with people. Sharing love with them, encouraging them, speaking life to them. You know, in Acts chapter 5, the, the angel that, that let Peter go and, and got him out when he was in prison, he said, he said, go stand in the temple and speak the words of life. You know, that's what we ought to be, ought to come here. Every one of us is going to come here with some issues. Every one of us. Every one of us is going to come here probably in the last week with some falls and failures and, and like I said, I'm not here this morning for you men or you ladies to look at yourself and go, oh, I, I failed so miserably. I failed so miserably as a dad. I failed so miserably as a, as a mom. I failed as a spouse and, and this and that. My kids are warped and, you know, they're on medication. <laughs> that, that's not the point. Because every one of us can look at something. I can look at something in less than .3 seconds. I can pick out things in my life to go, I failed at that. I failed at that. I failed at that. I failed at that. I stink at that. I struggle with this. I wrestle with that. That doesn't help me. You know what? Church comes together and goes, you know what? I, I agree. And we're going to pray together and we're going to encourage one another and we're going to hear the truth and we're going to find hope and we're going to move forward. And so in that, you know, church should be something far beyond, you know, a suit tie and a little dance and, and getting on about our business. God hasn't called us for that. Here's what God has called us for. He's called us and designed us and empowered us 
to love and to touch lives of hurting and hopeless people. When you watch Jesus, you know, think about in, uh, in, in uh, let's see, I believe it's about John chapter 8. Remember the woman that says she was caught in that very act of adultery. Jesus is in the temple in the courtyard that day. All the religious people brought this woman, threw her down before Jesus said, she was caught in the act of adultery. Moses' law says, Stoner, what do you say? He's writing in the sand. He's ignoring them. I don't know what he's doing, drawing sand. Cows like, I don't listen to nothing y'all got to say. Then, then he said, He who, who is among you, uh, without sin, let him cast first stone. They all dropped their rocks. They walked away. He looked at the woman and listened to me. This is what he didn't say. He didn't say, Hey, you know, you ought to consider coming and visiting church on Sunday because I got a really great message that I'm going to stand up and preach to you. Man, we got some great music. You'll meet some people there. That's what we've, that's kind of what we've made church into. You know, we've kind of like, all right, the answer is we want you to come to this place on Sunday so you can hear this dude on Sunday who most of the time is confused himself. And hopefully he'll say something just right. He'll say something just right that will totally change everything in you. And some of you came this morning going, man, I hope he says something. I hope he's got something to say today that's going to fix my issue. I hope he says something like, Listen to me. You know what Jesus said? Most everyone, he, he just, he, he touched them. He got down there with them. That's what, the, that's what our church is missing. We want to say some things to people. We want to say your words. God's word is very powerful. But God's touch in his word is even more powerful. Am I making sense? Are you all with me this morning? You know, here's a popular verse. John three sixteen. We we put that up there? Probably don't have to because most of us got memorized. But I want, I want to point out something to you this morning. Is, it says, for God, here's what moves God. So loved the world, everybody, that he what? Gave. His only begotten son, the thing cherished by him the most, the thing his very best, he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him should not perish. And I want to emphasize, but have. Everlasting life. Notice the words here. He gave so that you could what? Have. Loved, gave so that you have. That's what the love of Jesus does in our life. God gave so that we could have. If you're here today and you go, I have everlasting life. It's because God loved you and he gave what he had to so that you could have that. If you're here today and go, I have a great dad or a great mom. You have that because God gave and loved and gave so that you could have that. I have, you know, we could go on and on. And so the love of God, think about this. If you're a born again believer, the Bible says the love of God fills your life. It's the very thing that motivates everything that we do, our hope, our faith, our interaction with other people. If you're a true believer, it should be radically motivated by that one source. The Bible actually says, if you don't love, you don't know the Lord. You know, you can be here and go, oh, I've been in church my whole life. And I know every hymnal by heart. And I know all these new songs by heart. And I, I sing and I sit and I do all this. And I go, do you, do you love? How many of you this morning, if you was going to be honest, go, I have a love in my heart for the followers. I have a love in my heart for lost people. I have the love of my heart. You know, the love of God. I just want to challenge you. What is the love of God causing you to give so that others can have? 
It's not about, oh, I love the Lord and He loves me and we have our thing and I sing and I listen and I go. That's not the love of Jesus. That's a lie. The love of Jesus within you is a very powerful and real thing. It changes everything in life. And when you have that, because if you don't have it, you don't have Jesus. The very person of the Holy Spirit resides in me and resides in you as a believer. And empowers us with something that can radically change the world if we would release that. I think the problem is a lot of people don't possess that. But God's love causes us to go, I want to give so that they can have. The closest thing I can think of to that would be what a parent does. I, I think there's a lot of parents here who you work like a dog. And, and you, you, have, you don't have some things. You know why? Because those little ankle biters you got, you want to give it to them. Some of you, if some of you, you know, work your whole life and you rat hole money, and I don't agree with that, it's not, that's here and there. And you put it up, you put it with the intention to go, I'll live without so that I, they can have. That's what, that's what the love of God does. Now it does it outside of your own family. That's natural love will do that for your family. But I'm talking about just everyday average normal people. So why in the world would I want to give up really a little bit of time? In order to be a mentor father to this kid. And I want to bring the women in on this too. Because listen to me. Boys ain't the only ones who is affected by a fatherless home. A lot of girls are. A lot of you ladies who are here who can go. I was affected by a fatherless home. Now is there a ministry designed for that? Not that I know of. So that there's your challenge ladies. And I just go. But what would cause you to want to go. You know, we, and all of us, most of us go, I got kids of my own, I got grandkids, this and that. I realize that. Does that mean that the only people we're ever going to reach for Jesus is our own family? God's called us to reach the world. And he's equipped us and he's given us time and ability and everything else. But what would cause that is called the love of Jesus. The Bible actually says, how can you see somebody in that situation and just walk by them and go, be blessed and filled? And not do anything. Does the love of God abide in you if you have this world's goods and you don't use it to help somebody else? The Bible says the love of God moves the church to action. We don't just have compassion. We take action upon that compassion and go, I'm willing to give a few hours. I'm willing to give of my time. I'm willing to give up some time with my family in order that this person can have, listen to me, the same hope that's been given to me. You know, most, if not everyone here, has been affected by a fatherless epidemic. Or you will be. Some of you men, your daughters might marry somebody who is fatherless. Do you think that's not going to affect your family? You're, you're deceived if you don't think that. Every one of us will be affected by this in life. Many of you have scars from not having a father or, having, or not having a good relationship with your dad. You know, the pain and the hurts of divorce, the anger and the bitterness, the guilt and the shame. That's the things they don't tell you. And I realize there's a lot of you been divorced. I'm not dogging on divorced people. But I think most every one of you would agree. You know what? It wasn't what I thought. You know, there was a lady in our church, loved the couple, hated to see what happened to them. They married a long time and ended up getting a divorce. Both of them went their separate ways. A little while later... The lady was talking to us. She said, I wish I'd have never done that. It was her decision. There was, there was even no even major issues. It was just, oh, we just grew apart. We don't love each other anymore. And you know what? She lost what she, 
She got what she wanted, but she lost what she had. It wasn't. And, and I, here's what I know. I've talked to a lot of kids whose parents have been divorced. It's devastating. It might not be as much devastating on some of the people who get divorced. I don't know. But this is what I know. Every kid that I've talked to who's been part of a family where the parents divorced, it has been devastating. Even in believing families, it's devastating on those kids. And so whether or not you're the, the one who was divorced or you're the one whose parents was divorced, you understand what I'm talking about when we talk about pain. You know what it's like to raise a child by yourself. We've got some single parent moms here. And I, I applaud you for what you do. You sacrifice tremendously to take care of your kids. And if your husband doesn't help you, he's a bum. And an un, he's worse than an unbeliever, according to the scripture. He that does not provide for his own has denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. So if you're a man here and you go, like, I skipped out on my kids. Well, today's a good day to repent start something new. You know, you understand the results of making major decisions in the absence of God. And here's the problem. For many of you, there's a deep-seated pain. Some of you adults have been carrying a deep-rooted pain within you since you was little bitty. Didn't know what to do. You know, here's the thing. Kids don't know what to do when parents get stupid. They don't know, what, they don't know all that stuff. All they know is that they're in a situation now that they don't understand. It throws a mass confusion in life. And most of the time it turns to hurt. And if, if you don't deal with that, if a kid can't deal with that, and an adult, especially an adult who loves Jesus, doesn't have them process that, that pain will define their life. And there's people in this crowd probably that that pain has defined your life and your attitudes towards other people. Most of the times your attitudes towards the Lord. And, and it just keeps spilling, it keeps spilling, and the devil's done his work. But here's what I want to say. That doesn't disqualify you. This is what I want to, this is what I want to start giving you a lot of hope. This, as I studied this, this gave me a lot of hope. Here's the thing. Most often, the greatest work of God in our lives arises from our deepest pain. Want that to settle in you. The greatest work of God in your life often arises. He pulls it out of your deepest hurts. If you'll allow Him to. That's the power of the gospel. Jesus takes our pain and our sorrow and He turns it to glory. The Bible says He turns ashes into beauty. You say, how does He do that? Well, you've heard me say before, hurting people hurt people. Hurting people hurt people. You know why the, the prison's full of people? Because they were hurting and they just wanted to hurt somebody else. And there's a lot of people today. You drive down the road, they wave at you in the wrong way. And you see anger spew out. One of the weirdest things happened to me this week. I was pulling up. I was maybe driving a little bit faster than I should. But I pulled up to a red light and I was, I, I was aware. And I was going to stop and this dude was turning. And I, I got stopped quick, and he, he had to be, oh, he had to be 70, because he looked way older than me. And that dude was just bumping his mouth at me. I looked at him, you're 70, I'm going to ignore this. But I just looked and go, where did that come from? Where is all that? And, and, and the people, here's why, hurting people hurt people. If you look at your mom and dad, and you say, there's a time in my life, my mom and dad, they hurt me. Chances are they might have been hurting at that time in their life. Hurting people hurt people, especially when the hurt turns to hate. 
I'm going to set up camp here for just a minute. I want you to listen to me. Maybe you are that little kid, that little boy, that little girl. Maybe, you're, maybe your dad ditched you. Maybe you didn't ever know him. Maybe your mom ditched you. Because there's a lot of times moms ditch kids and dads raised them. And you was done wrong. Or maybe you got grown up and somebody else done something to you. A spouse ditched you and left you. Every person is going to experience hurt. You're not above it. There's no superman. You can say, I got over it. You don't just get over stuff like that. It's, all of a sudden, Satan puts a seed, a wound in you, a pain in you, a hurt in you. And you have to process that. Most people don't want to process it. You know what happens when you don't find healing? The hurt turns to hate. And you begin to look at life from the lens of hate. The lens of hurt. And everything that people say to you and everything that people do towards you. And if you don't do something about that right there. It begins to mold your character, mold your attitude. It'll go into your marriage. It'll go into your children. It'll go into your grandchildren. It'll go for generations. One wound that can destroy hundreds of people. And not only that, it makes you so miserable and bitter, you want everybody else to be just like you. Y'all with me? Hurting people hurt people. But get this, this is what I want you to hear. Healed people heal people. Healed people Heal people. Loved people love people. Hope-filled people give hope to people. That's what I mean when I say Jesus can change everything. If you're here this morning and go, I have had years of hate inside of me. Balled up and bitter. I've never told nobody. Don't worry, they see it. They've experienced it. Most of the people closest to you have experienced your hurt. Because it spills out all kind of ways. And I just go, here's what you need. You're never going to hate enough to feel validated. You're never going to hurt enough to feel validated. It's just going to keep getting bigger until it's this big, empty, black, stinking wound in you. That the devil's like, just hate more. And what it is, is you need God's forgiveness so that you can show forgiveness. You need the healing touch of Jesus in your life. You need to come to the place to go. This is what's happened to me Lord. And I need you. It's called humility before God. God I need you. To fix me. To heal me God. Because I don't want to hate. And I don't want to be bitter. And I don't want to hurt people anymore. And until you do something to me. Until I open up. Bible said he's the great physician. They, Jesus demonstrated through every kind of disease there is when people came to him and they opened up. He was like, oh, I can fix that. God can fix us. He's the fixer of the heart. He's the healer. And here's the thing. When you get healed, when your deepest hurt all of a sudden gets healed, it becomes your greatest glory. Because you're now you're like, you know what? I can identify with that. I can identify with somebody who was left. Alone, I can identify with somebody who fell off the deep end. I can identify with somebody who went through seasons of sin and darkness in their life and they was attacked by the devil himself. You know what Job's greatest testimony was? It arose out of his loss and his hurt. So in that, God, if you're here today and go, I'm in that place where I'm hurting so bad. I feel so bad for you. I hurt so bad. My words is not going to fix you. They're not going to fix you. Maybe you'll leave and go, I, got, oh, I just felt a little oomph there. Maybe that'll fix me. 
But I can tell you what, I can direct you to the one who can. Jesus can fix you. Church is not going to fix you. Come to church. There's bitter people in church every Sunday. And the more and more you see the joy of the people around you, the, the madder you get. The worse you hate it. And you start hating on those people. Church ain't going to fix you. Man, Jesus can. So what's, what's the path that I'm, I'm doing right here, but i got to give you this. Look in Romans chapter 5. Say, what, is these, what does these boys need? This, this right here. They need a man in their life who loves Jesus, who's been healed, who is loved because you receive God's love, and you can lead them down this path. Excuse me. Romans chapter 5, look in verse 1. It starts off and it says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Starts off with peace with God. Every person here. When I talk about these things today, if you get mad and bitter and angry and those things, you know why? It's not because of the people around you. It's because you have no peace. You can't have the peace of God until you have peace with God. And every person, the first step to healing in your life is to have peace with God. How? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's called the gospel that he died for your sins, was buried, and rose again. And he offers you the forgiveness for your sins and life. And his spirit enters inside of you. Okay? Then you see the second step. It says in verse 2, through whom we also have access by faith. Notice what it says, into this grace in which we stand. Here's the thing. God knows your messes. And God knows all all the stuff that you've got going on, whether it's in you or whether it's in your family or whatever it is. God knows those things. What we've been taught a lot of times is, you know, if you do those things, God's so ashamed of you. Go get it right and then you can come. Here's what this teaches. You have peace with God. And because of the blood of Jesus, God has provided a place where you stand called grace. Grace is the place where you can get all messy. And God's like, I'm okay with that. I realize you're going to be messy for a while. How many of you had your baby and when they filled their first and their second and their third diaper, you were like, I'm so disappointed in you. (laughs) You know what they have? They have a grace period where you're the one who goes, I'm going to carry you. I'm going to hold you. I'm going to stay awake with you. I'm going to clean you up. I'm going to do everything. The grace in which a believer stands, God says, I realize you're going to make some messes. And I'm okay with your mess. You don't automatically change to where you're a holy super person and you've got it all together. I don't care how awful of things that you've involved your lives in. When you have peace with God, God's like, my grace is sufficient. Stand in it. Why? Because grace does what? It gives me access to the presence of the one who can continue to change me. Salvation is not a, okay, you're not going to hell. Salvation is a a relationship with God who goes, I'll take you like you are. In all your hurt, in all your sorrow, in all your pain, in all your guilt, I'll wash it away and I'm going to stand you in this place so broad you can't walk off of it. You don't fall from grace. And I'm going to give you access even as you fall and you fail and you do these things and you repeat sometimes. But I'm going to do something in you. Notice what he says here. He says, in which we stand, we rejoice in the hope 
of the glory of God. That's the change God wants to do. That's the change you want in your life. And not only that, we also glory in tribulations, in your troubles, in your trials, and all the things you've experienced. Here's what God's doing. He's like, I want you to stand in my grace and I want you to watch me work. I want you to let me work in you. Because I'm going to take these tribulations, it says, because tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance produces character. You know what that is? God's like, oh, I'm, I didn't just save you from hell. I'm going to make, I'm going to give you a new life. Standing in grace, I'm going to make you a new person. I'm going to give you a totally different character. We're going to take your hurts and your pains and your bad experiences and some of your bad decisions and some of the things you're going to go through even while you're standing in this grace. And I'm going to build a person out of you that's going to be in the image of Jesus. And then notice what he says. Man, I figured somebody would be happy about that. And then he says, I'm going to give you a new hope. And then in verse 5 it says, Now hope does not disappoint. Y'all, y'all need to soak on that a little bit. Because why? The love of God has been trickled out. doesn't say that. doesn't say sprinkled out. It says the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Why did God give us the Holy Spirit? So the Holy Spirit go, and just dump God's love in your heart. That's what that new person said. What is God doing in my life? He's wanting you to understand. Just rest in grace. Let me do what I'm doing. I'm making you into a new person. I'm taking away the old. I'm bringing in the new. I'm remodeling the house. I'm giving you a new hope. If you'll listen to me and you'll trust me and you'll walk with me and you'll believe my word and you'll do what I say, I've got good for you. I've got good for your marriage. I've got good for your children. I've got good for your grandchildren. I've got good for generations. Just trust me. Walk in, stand in my grace. Humble yourself and let me change your heart. I've done took out that heart. I put a new heart in. Now we're going to get that out of that heart. I'm pouring love into that new heart. And it's going to begin to flow. You know what happens? Like it says in Psalm 23, my cup overflows. And when all of a sudden you wake up one day and hopefully one day your spirit wakes up inside of you and you're like, he does love me. He has forgiven me. He is changing me. If you've, if you've been in Jesus for a little while, you ought to be able to look and go, he, he is changing me. I'm not the same hateful person I was. I'm hating half the amount now. I mean, let's be real. That's what grace does. The Lord's like, I know you still got some folk you're hating. I'm, we're going to work through those people. That's deep-rooted. But you know what I'm going to do? The more that you let me work on you and the more you go, God, you're so good to forgive me. He's like, that's what I want you to do. God, you're so good to show me unconditional love. That's what I want to pour out of you. And you look up one day, and this is just, just pouring out. You know what that's called? Ministry. It's called ministry. That's what ministry should be. shouldn't be, oh, I've got a business degree, and I've got seven doctorates, and now I can stand up and show you my intellect. Sit down and shut up. <laughs> ministry should be, I've spent so much time because I needed it so badly, of Jesus putting his hands on me and me wrestling with him. You know, you think about Jacob. I'm done right here, so stay with me. Think about Jacob in Genesis where he wrestled with God. God came and wrestled with him. Why, why did the Lord come and put his hands on Jacob? He was changing him. It's a picture to us in the New Testament. God putting his hands of love and his hands of grace, which sometimes brings pain. But it eventually removes the pain. And Jacob said, I'm going to hold on for the blessing. I ain't letting go. 
And when he got up, this time when he got up from that wrestling contest and the Lord let him go, the Bible said he changed his name from Jacob, which is deceiver, to Israel, who is prince of God. It says the sun rose up that Jacob was walking. He was walking with a limp. You know why? God touched him. He never walked the same. That's what God wants to do for everybody here today. And here's the thing. That's what God wants to do through everybody here today. This is not a ministry that I want you to consider because you're like, oh, he shamed me into it. I feel bad. I just want you to go, has God's love changed my life? Has he given so that I can have? I mean, we're, we're not talking about a program. We're talking about, I just want you to listen right here, kids. Jesus sat down and said, Suffer the little children, come to me and forbid them not for such is the kingdom of God. It's like I, 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 we're talking about one kid. We don't have to have 500 men, just, just maybe one. One kid, one man who goes, You know what? I'm going to give so that he can have because he gave so that I could have. And I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to do that because I believe, because I, I found a place. I, here's where I'm at. I believe that every child of God, born again with God's Spirit inside of you here today, you have the love of God so full in you, you're looking for a place to pour it out. Maybe this is your place. Maybe it's not. Maybe this is not. But I would say, would you consider, go, God, is this where you want me? You've got to find a place to pour it out. God, I'll, 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 and maybe you're here and go, I don't, I don't have that. Maybe you need to talk to Jesus. Maybe you're here and you're one of those people go, I'm deeply wounded. I'm deeply hurting. And it's coming out in every aspect of my life. Please be real, not for me or for anybody else, but just for you. My concern is for you. My concern is, you know why I preach a message like this? I want so badly, number one, for you to know Jesus. The, the Jesus of the Bible. The living Savior. The one who can do what he says. The one I've witnessed and I've experienced and changed. I, I was one of the most godless, hateful, prideful, arrogant people you'll ever meet. I'm talking about hate. And the Lord has changed that a lot. I still got a little bit in me, you know. There's still some stuff he's working on and we're wrestling through. But I'm not who I used to be. I can tell you that. And it's so good not to wake up every day ticked off at the world and looking for somebody to splash my anger, my hate, my attitude on. Maybe you're one of those people. Here's what you need. What I need to do. You need to come before the Lord. Just you and the Lord. To humble your heart and go, Lord, let's reason together. Isaiah 118. Come and let us reason together. He wants to take that from you. You know what God wants for you? He wants you healed. He wants you whole. He wants you happy in your heart. He wants you to wake up every day with a hope. And he wants you to just splash His glory through your life on all the people around you who are miserable so that they can have what He's given you. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior today, I, I, I implore you, search your heart. I don't want you to have church. I don't want you to have what Brother Randall can give you. I don't want you to have baptism. I don't want you to have any of that stuff. I want you to look and go, does God's love abide in my heart? Has he, has his presence changed me? Has the love of Jesus showed me on the cross? Has that really sunk through into my mind to where I was so overwhelmed by it that I just had to bow and go, God, I need that. Lord, I need your love so bad. God will save you today. Will you stand with your head bowed and your eyes closed? Let's have a word of prayer.
Father, we just come before you today. Thank you that we can have that access into a love, Lord. I think we could spend our whole life reading about, seeking, and not think we could ever even begin to understand it. My prayer is, Lord, that every person here today would know that love. Lord, we live in a messed up culture, a bunch of messed up people. I know there's people here that when they was kids, they had bad things done to them. Maybe they had parents that ditched them. Lord, they've been angry about it their whole life. But I also know your word says, though your father and mother forsake you, yet I will take you up. Lord, I pray today people would just be honest before you. God, that they would come to receive, just to receive your love and your grace and your forgiveness and your healing and your goodness, God. Because we can't show what we don't have. But God, I pray that every person here today would just let you fill them, God, just in your presence before you today, just just to fill us, God. In such a way that we would just love to love. Raise up me and God in this church who will stand in the gap for these kids. God, I just pray that we'd be a generation changers. Lord, I love you and I thank you so much for what you've done in my life. And I ask it in Jesus' name.